You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. I think my wife just called me Coach Butt. She did, right? There's a story behind that if you're wondering. I might share it shortly. I guess so, right? You know, I'm on stage. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? You awake? You alive? Active? Amen. Uh, teachers and coaches, where you at? The, the service, you know, Sunday service is always for God and worshiping God and glorifying God. But that being said, is it important, very important to acknowledge the hard work of those around us, uh, the tireless months, the correcting of papers, uh, the, the, the weekends that are gone because of this, that, and the other. And it happens week after week, month after month, to the finally get to this place of summer. So because of all that, I want to say thank you for your work. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. Once upon a time, I actually used to be a coach and a teacher. So, yeah, yeah, right? So I couldn't, I couldn't find any teacher photos, but I did find some from our basketball days. Um, I'm the Irish Mexican on the right of all the photos, in case you're wondering. Um, and actually, Josh and Kendall, uh, these two gentlemen right here, they're in these photos. Actually, this one right here, they're in that one. And so there's... There's Josh, and where are you at, Kendall? Kendall is right, is that Kendall? Kendall had really long braids at that time. He doesn't want you to know that, but amen. So as far as you know, teaching and coaching goes, I have a tremendous respect for the profession. Um, I did it for three years. Uh, I had a ministry opportunity after that, so I took it and ran, and that was my story. So amen. That being said, that has nothing to do with the lesson today, but we are going through, and this is the second to last installment of our series in 1 Corinthians. So shed your tears. I know you're sad. But the truth is, is 1 Corinthians is a pretty awesome book. And uh, we're going to go through specifically today chapters 13 and 14. Uh, the title of today's sermon is God is really among you. Now, before we get into that, I think it's only fitting just for the sake of this lesson that I pray. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. Your patience with us, your mercy, your nature, God, the way that you love us we get into shortly, it knows no bounds. We thank you for this time together to, to worship you, to sing to you, God, to fellowship in your name. We pray, God, for many things. I pray for this lesson that you work powerfully as only you can. Pray for all the hurting in the world, God, as there's so much that's going on so much death and, and so much hurt that you're working powerfully in all those situations, planting seeds, giving comfort, working as only you can to show that your love is more real, especially in those moments. We pray, God, just for the rest of service, pray for our hearts that we're ready and open to receive your word. No matter how many times we've read a Bible passage or even looked at the idea of love, that our hearts are receptive. We're soft malleable, ready to be molded by our creator. Thank you so much for this time. We love you. Praise in Jesus' most holy and perfect name. The church said, amen. Amen. 
Amen. So chapters 13 and 14, 1 Corinthians, just in case you're wondering where 1 Corinthians is at, or I should say the city of Corinth, right? Or 2 Corinthians, where is that at? It's actually a city in Corinth. Uh, the orange map up there is ancient Greece, right? The uh, blue one is modern day. So if you look at that big arrow right there where it says here, you can see where Corinth is located, right? Corinth was a port city, uh, eclectic population, diverse population. Its peak at about 90,000, which doesn't seem like a lot for population, but in ancient times that is pretty significant. Around Roman rule, when uh, Paul got there, it was roughly around 50K. And so uh, it, on and popping, busy, you can see kind of this connection, right? So you have Asia Minor, Turkey, and so it's kind of bridging the gap between the rest of you know, the known world and Corinth right there. So it's a central hub, very important. Some fun facts that you can tell your friends at parties on this next slide <laughs> right here. Um, important to note, I mentioned this before, but you know, they were heavy on goddess worship. So there was a lot of uh, temples. There was a lot of temple shrine prostitutes. And, you know, there was the sexual morality that was just part of their worship. I, I believe the, uh, the ratio was roughly like one to nine in terms of like your occupation being a temple shrine prostitute and the rest of the population, which is pretty high. Yeah. You know, so they had a, a proclivity for promiscuity. Uh, one scholar mentioned that it was like Vegas on steroids. So there's a lot going on there. Uh, illustration of ancient peak courts, just to get an idea. You know, you can see some mar marketplace down here. You can see an arena, residences. You know, it's at least for ancient times around the, you know, the turn right after Jesus was born. It's a very well-to-do place. Going back to our uh, lesson, our theme scripture. 13 and 14, you know, if you know anything about the Bible and you, and you hear the words 1 Corinthians 13, what comes to mind? Love, Love right? And unfortunately, you know, this is not a wedding. This is not, uh, 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 what is it, Valentine's Day. But that being said, we're still going to talk about love today, amen? amen? So there's something interesting that will tie in and we'll all kind of put it in a nice little bow together. But in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, it says this. But if an unbeliever, an inquirer, comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You ever been uh, to a church service where you felt like the secrets of your heart were being exposed? Yes. You walked in that first time, and you're like, wait a minute. I remember going to a Christian church when I was 17, and I'm thinking, there's no, there's no drones right yet. There's no GoPros. How does this person know all these intricate details about my life? Where is he getting this information? You know, and just to be honest, I, I remember going to church one of the very few times I started going consistently, I was hungover, 17-year-old, and they started talking about drunkenness, and they started talking about immorality. And I'm like, oh, man, this is getting, it's getting a little toasty in here. <laughs> I think I'm going to get out of here and go to the bathroom or something. Um, but that's what can happen, right? And it, in some cases, should happen, but we'll get more into the context of what we want to occur when someone comes to church, not just the judgment, but the love as well, all right? Corinthian Church Challenges, if you recall, we've gone through this the past couple months, right? And there has been a slew of issues that you can find in all the chapters of 1 through 12, and then even 14 as well. Uh, a couple of those core issues, you find the jealousy, the quarreling, and the arrogance, right? They had a lot of opinions, the church in Corinth, these people, they're like, well, I follow Paul. 
and I like to follow Apollos, and I follow Peter, and I follow Christ. You had all this division. Their, their opinions mattered a lot. Their, their, their public platform mattered a lot. You know, and as a result, you see these different expressions. You see the sexual morality expression. Uh, lawsuits. You had disciples suing each other. Uh, I don't know what the issue was. I don't know if it was, you know, uh, I borrowed your oxen and I never gave it back. I don't know what happened. But there was a problem that could not be solved within the confines of a spiritual community. Using, using what they had of scriptures, using the wisdom of the elders, they couldn't fix it. They had idle food fights, Right? So there was guilds back in, in, in ancient Corinth, right? And guilds like a combination of a fraternity and a union, right? And the idea was they met maybe like once a month, but when they had these guild feasts, there's a lot going on. So it's a giant meal, it's drunkenness, it's to their, their specific guild god, whoever that is, uh, their sexual morality. So it's like one big party kind of slash orgy in some respects, right? And so this meat that was left over would end up in the marketplace. And that marketplace meat, there were some Christians that said, hey, you know what? I don't care where it came from. I just want some prime rib. I'm hungry, right? There's other Christians who are like, well, what do you mean? This was sacrificed to this God. How could you eat this meat? And this guy's like, well, no, I get you, but I just want some food. You know what I mean? I'm going to cut it up. It's really good, medium rare. You know, they, had, they didn't have an issue with it, right? So this back and forth fight. People had doubts about Paul's apostleship. Right? I think we can do this with, with the Word of God in general, where we, we like certain aspects of it, and then we don't like certain aspects of it. So their opinions were so important that, well, I'm a prophet. I have the gift of prophecy, Paul. Right? Okay, so you said this, but I want to do that. There's back and forth issues. Dysfunctional Lord's Supper. So we're supposed to come together, and we're supposed to take the, uh, you know, it was in our case, a little uh, cracker that tastes a little rough, and the juice is kind of, you know, it is what it is. But in theirs, <laughs> hey, we do our best, you know. But in their situation, it's an actual feast, right? And so you have this, this feast that's supposed to be dedicated to Jesus and, and thanking him for his sacrifice. But then you have people that would eat too much so that those that didn't have, let's say, a whole lot come to the feast, and now there's nothing to eat. You had people getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and celebrating that way, right? They also, when they came together, you had this, this, this selfish, disorderly, disorderly use of spiritual gifts, so let's say my gift was the gift of prophecy. And I would say things that I think God is, you know, that coming from God that he wants me to tell the people. Possibly if it was prophetic, it would be something about the future. And then let's say you had someone in this case that spoke in tongues. Someone that spoke in other languages. Someone that maybe spoke in some heavenly languages, right? And so I'm in the middle of my, my prophetic message. And then someone in tongues starts going, you know, whatever it is, right? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm trying to finish my prophecy. Or they're speaking another language. And then another person over here says, hey, well, I have a message. And they start talking, right? So it's just all this mess, all this dysfunction within the church. They started using the gifts that God gave them as this, as this like self-glory and self-expression thing. I have the gift of prophecy, right? You just have the gift of administration, right? You're just good at logistics. But me, I can say the words of God. I have... This, this surpassing knowledge and wisdom that comes directly from God, right? And so 1 Corinthians 13, the context is within this issue of gifts, within this issue of disunity and disorder and all this craziness that's going on. So Paul goes in, in, in chapter 12 and he says, hey, it's one body, 
many parts, right? We all have different gifts, but it's the same spirit. There's no gift that's better than, you're not better than anybody else. You're not less than anybody else. If you think you're indispensable, on the, uh, you think you're, you are dispensable, on the contrary, you are indispensable. You are essential to the body. Everyone matters. All our gifts matter. And the church said, amen. amen. So this is the backdrop for 1 Corinthians 13, right? Sometimes you might have wondered, if you looked at the beginning of this chapter, why does Paul mention, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, or, you know, talking about the gift of prophecy. What does this have to do with love? Because we just like to piecemeal the Bible and we say, oh, this is just about love. No, this is the context. The context is they're over-worried about their gifts, over-concerned about their own expression, thinking too highly or thinking too lowly of themselves, right? Paul says this, get into love now. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship and the other versions to the flames that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, in some respects, it can seem like an empty, superficial trope. Church in Corinth has all these issues. We just, look at that. Wait, <coughs> look at all those issues, right? Okay, so what's Paul's solution? We just need a love. Amen. Some of us can hear that. You'd be like, meh. <laughs> love? Really? Bit of a broad stroke, right? I mean, isn't the, isn't the solution a little more detailed than that? We're just going to say we're just going to love people, and that's the answer? Yes. You darn skippy. Yes, we are. We're going to say that love is the answer. Yes, we are. I am not a hippie. This is not the 70s, but love is the answer. It is that important. It is that critical. It is that key. What is the point if you do all your religious acts? You sing your songs, you go to church, you're, you're happy-go-lucky, you're trying to be nice people, do charity work. What's the point if you do all these things and you don't have love? You're a resounding gong. You know that ape from like, what was it, the 70s or 80s that does a little thing, goes like this and hits the cymbals? Anybody know that one? I'm not alone, right? Please don't leave me on stage and say I'm the only person that knows that, right? Amen, right? I know. You're making a bunch of noise. Remember the gong show? It does the act and dance, so that's not very good. Gong, get out of here. You're just a loud noise. That's how important love is. This is not something, oh, you know, we're just going to talk about love today. Guys, this is everything. This is the reason why John talks about love over and over and over again. Because if we are living in this world and acting in this world and speaking in this world, and there's not a godly love overflowing in our hearts... What the heck are we doing? John Wooden, he's a teacher and a coach, so I think it's only fit, fitting to put someone that's a teacher and a coach Amen, on a quote today. Amen. I like him because he's basketball-related, and he dominated for like a decade, yeah. and all his players loved him. Yeah. So it wasn't just he's a crazy tax massacre, but it's, you know, really built a sense of family community. Never mistake activity for achievement. Amen. Never mistake activity 
for achievement. I would submit to us this morning that if we're running around doing all these things that we think are good, or whatever you find in your profession, whatever your hand finds you to do, and there's not love, it's just a bunch of activity. You're just doing things. We don't want to just do church. We don't want to just live professional lives. We don't just want to have empty relationships. We want to have impact on this world. At least I do, and I know I'm not alone, right? We all want to impact people in our lives. We all want to apply this. And you think about it for yourself, right? We can apply it to our marriages. We can apply it to our child rearing. You can apply it to your profession. Now, I think it's only fitting to kind of go in a little more details because we're talking about love. And okay, so what's, we need a description of love because there's a lot of ideas of love out there, aren't there? Yeah. I want to open this up to the peanut gallery for a second. Uh-oh. It can be dangerous, but we're just going to see what's going to happen. What are some of the things that you understood description-wise about love? Let's say before you might have heard this 1 Corinthians 13 passage. What are some things out there about love that you've heard over the years? It's a feeling. You just feel it, right? You just fall in love in your face like you just know and your body does a weird movement and you just look in your eyes like you just, I just love you so much. It's love. Love. I've seen teens do this. I'm like, cut it out, teen. Like, no, you don't understand. It's real love. You don't know me. I love this person. Like, eh, maybe you don't. I don't know if you do or not. But in any case... What else? Raise your hand. The way to a man's heart is through the stomach. I mean, I mean, I think he's accurate. I'm not going to say that just because I've gotten a little bigger over the past couple months, but thank you, South Bay, by the way. Fred. Cupid. Yeah, Cupid shoots his arrows. So you, you don't necessarily have any control, right? You're just walking on the street one day, all of a sudden Cupid says, and he's you know, flying a little fluttering, goes a little, and he hits you like, oh, I'm in love all of a sudden. Anybody else? My lady. You can fall in and you can fall out. One side of the Mississippi, the other side of the Mississippi. What do I feel today is not what I feel yesterday and maybe not what I feel tomorrow. Absolutely. Last one. You don't get to choose who you love. You don't get to choose who you love. There, there's like, a, like a, a Star Wars tractor beam, and you just go towards it, and you can't stop it. And it just takes you over. It's so compelling, it's irresistible, right? There might be some truth to that. I don't know. I saw Martini, I'm like, whoa, a tractor beam. She's hot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Still do, sweetie. Still do. Looking good, girl. I'm sorry, I digress. Amen. Let's get focused on scriptures, amen. All right. So let's read an actual description of love. If you've been to a wedding again, if you have some premarital counseling, uh, if you've been to church at least once, you might have heard this passage. But again, I submit to you, listen with open hearts and minds. Verse 4 says this, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records 
of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, it always, I saw it always protects, it should say, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. If you've done premarital counseling before um, or heard a sermon at a wedding, one of the things they do sometimes is they'll grab the word love and they say, hey, plug in your name. I shared this with our, with our uh, worship team in the morning. And so I'm going to put my name in here, not because I think I am this, but I, I, I want everyone to kind of do the same in your own time. This is a great marker, if you will, to see how you're doing with love. Right? When you, when you plug yourself in, you're like, wait a minute. Okay, so here we go. It might get hot under the collar, but I'm going to do my best. Okay, plug my name. Red is patient. Mm. Red is kind. <laughs> too loud, Martini, too loud. <laughs> Red does not envy. I don't, I don't think it's an issue. Red does not boast. Uh, you saw the state title early in the sermon, so I, I think. <laughs> At least I didn't have the ring, right? I put the ring over. Uh, red is not proud. Eh, ask Steve and my wife. We'll see how it goes. Um, red does not dishonor others. I try not to. Uh, red is not self-seeking. Uh, depends on the week. Red is not easily angered. Uh, depends on the day. Uh, red keeps no record of wrongs. Okay. Red does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Kind of like that one. Uh, red always protects. Okay, it's getting hot in here. Uh, red always trusts. Yikes. Uh, red always hopes. Mm. Red always perseveres. Mm. Red never fails. Mm. Oh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Fill in the blank for yourself. Yeah. It's a great activity yeah. to consider where you're at with this thing called love. I, I personally feel some of the biggest challenges, you know, with child rearing, and it, when we talk about being patient and, and not being easily angered, I, I need to work on that, right? Same thing with, with teeny. I'm not terrible, but it needs work, right? What is it for you? Where do you stand? It's a good one. Rick Warren said this, for instance, God teaches us to love by putting some unlovely people around us. It's a little loaded, right? If you're wondering who the unlovely people are, it's, it's you and me. It's, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that other person's not loving. You're like, oh, God, you missed the whole point. Went over your head. Amen. It takes no character to love people who are lovely and loving to you. I like this passage because when you're talking about love, a lot of times we think about it within the context of people that are in our immediate circle, people that we know and that we already do love. Right? But the Bible says this in Matthew 5, 46 through 48. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Or not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect or be holy in other iterations. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the challenging aspect about love because it's difficult to love people that do not love you. Yeah. It's difficult to love people that are actively trying to hurt you. Yeah. It's difficult to love people who don't even think they need to be forgiven. Yeah. 
It's difficult to love people that do not know you even exist. Fill in the blank. This idea of love, I mean, if God is love, right? And if you go through 2 Peter 1, there's all these different qualities that Peter mentions that we want to have an increasing measure as Christians. You know, add to your faith, this, that, and the other. What's the top of that list? What's the top? It's love. So I'm going to, my name's Rhett, but I'm going to be Frank for a second. Okay, you ready? Here we go, Frank. I think too many Christians are thoroughly convinced that they're loving. When the truth is, they'd be measured on godly scales and found horribly wanting. If the increasing qualities, if the pinnacle of that, let's say, self-actualization chart, just throwing it out there as my own thought process, is love, if that's the pinnacle of the mountain, if that's Mount Everest, then why are we assuming that we're already good at it? Because if we were good at it, you would probably already have been taken by God. You would have rode the chariot up with Elijah and went up to heaven. As it is, there's a sanctification process that we still have to ensue in order to be a people that are loving. Cool thing about love, 1 Corinthians 14, it has a lot about prophesying as a gift and tongues, and it kind of goes through this whole, some of that I shared before, the back and forth and who does what and kind of what's important and all this, that, and the other. Um, but the point is that it's supposed to be a, a, an idea of order, right? I like this summation, and it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. When we have love in our house, we have peace. We have love with our children, we have peace. We have love in our small groups. We have peace. We have love in our ministries. We have peace. We have love at our work. We have peace. We have love at our church. We have peace. The peace to do what? The peace to worship God with an undivided heart. The peace to treat others as God intended. The peace to focus our time and energy on God's will for our life. The peace to preach the gospel of Jesus with our lives and his words. The peace to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. The peace to address the needs of the poor and needy. The peace to create a unity of mind and heart among God's people. The peace to experience God in the developing love that he has for you. If we as a church are enveloped by the love of God so that it overflows and it's evident that there's something different about you, you don't respond the way that the world does. I've been around a lot of individuals and they've been in this situation and this is what they said and this is what they did and you did the complete opposite in the best way possible. What is it? I'm drawn to the way that you treat me 
I'm drawn to the way that you treat others. That is the love that we're talking about. Amen. And when people walk in this room, when people walk in a small group, when people come to your house or whatever ministry or whatever you're doing, they're going to say this. God is really among you. Amen. Closing thoughts. Some questions to consider for lesson today. What activities in my life need the love of God? What is something that you're doing right now off of rote memory, tradition? Maybe you came to church out of tradition today. But what activity in your life needs the love of God as the basis for the action? Number two, what areas of love's description? We talked about 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is this, love is that, and the other. What one of those was the most challenging? When we were going through that list, what hits you like a ton of bricks? Pray about that one this week, amen? Last one. How can I go through, or how can I, through God's love, build deeper unity within my spiritual family? So if you're prompted by love, and love begets, love perpetuates unity, what loving actions will come out as a result of God's love for you that builds a unity, could be in a small group, whatever it is, fill in the blank, but be, be practical with it, right? It's more than just a feeling, isn't it? Leading into communion, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 real quick because there's something encouraging about it. Because the scripture says that God is love, we can plug in God <laughs> for all the words that all the times it says love. And I want you to think about how God feels towards you as we're about to take communion this morning. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. He's not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. Let's pray for communion. We thank you so much, God, for this opportunity to be here together, to be able to take just the bread and the juice as we reflect on the body that was broken, the blood that was shed, that we have a measure of sacrifice that is the, the epitome of what love is, that we can draw strength and motivation and encouragement and hope and all that we need from the cross. As we take the bread and juice, God, to help us to search our hearts this morning about the love that you have for us, not in guilt, not in shame, but reflecting on who you are and how you treat us, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, but in actuality, you wash our sins away. Thank you, God, for loving us the way that you do. Praise your son's most holy and perfect name. And the church said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.